John 3.16 is one of, if not the most, oft-quoted verses of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. One of the reasons that this verse has become so popular is that it represents a simple summary of a profound truth. God loves the world, including people like you and me. In this episode, we study the powerful story of Ruth that illustrates his love for all of us. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this is our podcast where we study Scripture with you. Our goal each week is to help you discover new or renewed excitement for God and His Word, invest your heart and personal life into your study, and connect with others as you teach and learn together. Hello and welcome back to this week's study. This week we are studying in the book of Ruth and we are kind of breaking protocol just a little bit because you may notice that the Come Follow Me manual does have a studying the beginning few chapters in 1 Samuel, but we are going to cover those next week when we talk about Samuel. We decided that we wanted to pay full tribute to Ruth this Ruth week. deserves her own her own week. She does. And you know what? We deserve it. <laughs> we all deserve it for making it through these tough stories. And maybe it's just because I make a big deal out of tough stories. And I like to like dig into the hard sides of things sometimes. But And I have in the Old Testament. But I just... Ruth was such a gentle story. It was a gentle landing place after Judges last week where we already talked about that, where there were pretty much a few good people, mostly not, but then even the good people that ended not so great. But this story of Ruth, like even I was reading through it again earlier tonight and I was on my back porch and just reading it and it was so peaceful outside and I was reading this very peaceful story of this woman who chooses to do the right things. And I also kind of like that, and maybe that was another reason I think for us is certainly Hannah, Samuel's mother in the beginning chapters of Samuel, also let's pay, pay tribute to another woman. But I just love that this story is not just a side story of a woman, but this is all about um, a woman of of the Bible. And I think it's just really beautiful. So we're excited for that part of it. And hopefully you feel that too, as we study that it is just kind of, I don't want to say fun, gentle, awesome. Yeah. um, In fact, you were peaceful. You were were so enjoying it so much. You were out on the back porch and I was in here reading to the kids and, and um, our daughter comes in and she, or my son comes in and goes, dad, Mom fell asleep on the back porch. (laughs) (laughs) To be clear, that wasn't during my reading. I finished and felt so peaceful that I was like, I'm just going to sit here and close my eyes and think about it. So, Well, it is a pretty stark departure from what we've been reading the last couple of weeks because in contrast to stories of the Israelites fighting uh, tooth and nail to reclaim the promised land and reading uh, their repeated cycle of of uh, disloyalty and the consequences that come because of it uh, Ruth is a very completely a completely different story and 
what we want to do with it, I'm, I'm a little, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit this. The first time I taught Ruth to seminary students, I, I looked back at my, my notes that I have from that year, and this is over 10 years ago. But the first time I taught it, I taught it as the Bible's greatest love story. And we looked at Ruth as this incredibly virtuous woman, and we looked at Boaz as an incredibly righteous man, and what they both bring together. And uh, so we you know, did some split up. Boys, look at Ruth, and what are qualities in a virtuous woman that you would appreciate? Girls, look at Boaz, and what are qualities in a righteous man that, that you appreciate? And That was so 2010. How can we, how can exactly. we sustain each other? Anyway, I'm, I'm sure it was helpful, meaningful, but... Um, but I'm embarrassed that that was the focus of the lesson because Ruth is, I think, at least one of, if not uh, the, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament's greatest love story. But it's not merely a love story about Ruth and Boaz. It's not primarily a love story about Ruth and Boaz. The reason, at least one of the reasons this story is included in the Hebrew Bible is because uh, it in so many ways symbolizes and and points to the love story between God and us, between the Lord and his people. Uh, and so what we want to do is we didn't really lay out uh, an outline for this uh, walkthrough like we usually do because we just wanted to talk about the love story. We just wanted to go back and forth and point out the things in the story that captured not just our interest, but our hearts, the things that triggered us um, and made us feel closer to God. Whether it's something we're looking at in Ruth's character as she is loyal to uh, these, these people in her life that take care of her, her caretakers who symbolize for her God, or whether it's the actions of these caretakers, Naomi or Boaz, uh, and their actions towards her. Um, the Savior uses the marriage symbolism quite often in his parables or in his stories. And in those uh, symbolic retellings, he is the groom and the church or his people is the bride. And it's a beautiful symbol of, of love and mutual loyalty. That's the idea behind those marriage stories, uh, that marriage is a mutual uh, loyalty. And so the, the groom, of course, covenants himself, gives himself to the care and the protection and the nurturing of the bride, of, of, the, of his people. But of course, the, the bride, uh, the people, Ruth in this case, likewise commits uh, covenants to uh, be loyal to and to um, be a part of the family of the bridegroom. So it's a beautiful symbol. And Ruth, of course, is a real story. But I think at least part of the reason why it was included is because it points to that symbolic representation. So maybe I'll start with a question, um, because some of the commentary that I read talked about just how peculiar it is that this book of Ruth was included in the Hebrew Bible because not only is it maybe uncharacteristic to put a, the title of a woman um, as the name of a book, 
but also that she was a Moabite. And so she was, they were hated by the Israelites. And so it was really kind of almost shocking that this is now the story. So maybe I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, Zach, is what, what does that mean for this, the beginning of this story? And maybe I'm starting to think toward the unlikely story of maybe how Christ feels or how God feels about us that even the most unlikely can be seen by him. But in light of what you were just explaining about this love story of how God feels about his people, um, maybe that's a great place to begin is who is Ruth that she deserves this love story, you know, quote unquote, deserves this. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're hinting at one great takeaway already in that uh, certainly one takeaway from the story is that God loves all people. And even though the Hebrew Bible focuses on the Israelites as as the focus of his attention and his, his chosen people in the story, that is not to say that he does not also have care and attention for other peoples um, and, and other, uh, other populations, other groups. In fact, we were talking about this this last week of how um, there's, there's probably a bit of oh, I don't know, a challenge or, or invitation to us as church members with a story like Ruth that that focuses on a, a Moabite, there's probably an invitation to us as church members to realize that God loves, speaks to, speaks through, and, and uh, works with other people in our world. We often... I think maybe offensively to others speak as if we are the only church to whom God gives light and love and attention. And that just can't be true because if it is, then God's only focusing on 17 million people out of 8 billion in the world, which is a pretty limited God. And so certainly God loves cares for, talks to, inspires, touches, leads, directs, empowers uh, anyone that is willing to open themselves up to his influence. And I think Ruth is a great place to point out that truth, that even though we're in the middle of a book that focuses on one particular group of people, here's this beautiful story where God is focusing his love and attention on on others outside of that normal group. Mm -hmm. And especially someone who is choosing to look for him, is choosing kindness, is choosing to stay and care. In fact, maybe to put verse to that idea, the book begins with this very idea. Verse 1, chapter 1, came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Uh, Now that, of course, is probably historical, but it's also symbolic. In the days of the judges, there was a famine, a spiritual famine in the land, which we just got done reading about that famine. We have 12 different cases where the people are un- disloyal to their God and cannot stay connected to him. So there's a famine in the land, meaning in Israel, there is a famine of loyalty to God and therefore people benefiting from God's blessings to them. Uh, And then in the very next sentence, a certain man. Now we have plenty of places in the scriptures where there's a certain woman and the men are focused on this narrative uh, flips that. It is a certain man who does get a name later on, Elimelech, but a certain man that goes down from Bethlehem to Moab 
And then, for the rest of the book, the focus is on these women, on Ruth and Orpah and Naomi. And so, of course, Naomi's the, the woman that marries uh, Elimelech, has two sons. Those two sons marry Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. Then all of the men die, uh, and Naomi tells her daughters-in-law, go back to your people because I can't take care of you anymore. Under Israelite law, if she had other sons, it would have been their responsibility to marry these widows and then raise up children unto their deceased brothers. But it's called the law of leveret marriage. But there's no more sons, which Naomi says to them, I don't have any more sons. So go back to your people, they'll take care of you. And then what I think is sets up the emotional tone for the book. In verse 13, she says, uh, it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. So in this first chapter, there's this idea of famine and loss, a people hungry for love and craving uh, community and family, family with each other and family with God, and they can't find it. And the story unfolds, this beautiful love story of how these people find love, love with each other and love with God. And it comes uh, through this mutual loyalty, Ruth's loyalty to Naomi, then Ruth's attention and obedience uh, to and kindness to Boaz, and then Boaz's uh, care and concern for Ruth. And that all kind of comes because of um, the choice that Ruth makes. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to point out too, that even Orpah, I love, I loved feeling that, um, love and connection that they had to Ruth. It wasn't Orpah hurrying to run away, but mm-hmm. it talks about that they wept together and they were, they were sad to leave. Um, but Ruth does make the choice to say, and maybe the scripture that's the most, quoted at all. I know that many Christian wedding ceremonies include this, but coming from a quote that coming from a scripture that Ruth actually is saying to her mother-in-law, um, for wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Um, and she promises to stay with her mother-in-law, even though she, she doesn't have to, and it might be a little bit harder for her um, and I love thinking of this in in terms of our relationship to God and her choice that she's making to also commit to Naomi's God, that she's going to stay and commit herself to him. Well, and I like that because um, Ruth really, is, as we've already said, Ruth, Ruth changes the tone or, or sets a new tone in the Hebrew Bible. Up to this point, the people have been kind of grudging um, fam- members of God's of the Lord's family. Uh, ever since Moses left Egypt, they're really quick to complain, really quick to turn away from him, uh, and they have to be reclaimed to the Lord through consequence and through pain. And so there's there's this kind of again grudging loyalty to God that they aren't that it doesn't really last. And here's Ruth, a non-Israelite choosing to convert herself to the Lord and to be loyal to him out of love. And I love that that's the beginning of this, um, not only of this story, but that becomes the motif going forward in the rest of the, the Hebrew Bible, the rest of the Old Testament, is highlighting people who are choosing the Lord, um, not just people that are chosen by him. 
Well, and I love the way that we see just that as the story continues. Ruth makes the decision to um, do the best she can and go to work. And she chooses a field, and I may not explain this as good as Zach probably does, but that she gathers the leftover wheat. And that's something that they they actually did as a service to the people that were poor and didn't have work was that they could come and gather the the rest of the wheat so that they could survive. And you see God's hand kind of moving Ruth along through this and blessing her and the people that she meets as she comes to happen to be gathering in the field of Boaz, who will come to be the person who helps both her and Naomi. Um, But I think to Zach's point that this is the beginning of seeing this balance of, again, not that Ruth makes the right decision and God blesses her, but that God is at work in the background and that she recognizes and sees that. And I think that's something that we can all recognize as well, that not that it's an exchange that God's going to bless us when we do something, but that we begin to see God at work in the lives of these people. And I think this is a really beautiful story to illustrate that, that he's there watching and, but also that Ruth is doing the very best that she can. I love the decisions that she makes. She makes the decision to stay. Um, and then she makes the decision to get out and work and to really try and rebuild their life to the best that she can. Yeah. There's two specific things actually that, uh, Ruth receives as blessing for her loyalty and they're called out by Naomi in two places. Naomi serves as kind of this, this mediator in the story of the blessings that come to Ruth. And so at the very beginning in chapter 1, verse 8, Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house, and the Lord deal kindly. Kindness shows up as a motif throughout the story. Um, as you notice in chapter 2, verse 20, after Ruth goes and gleans, meets Boaz, and Boaz uh, gives her not just the leftovers, but enough uh, wheat, enough barley in verse 17 to last for two weeks. The amount he gives her in verse 17 is enough. It's a two-week supply for two women. And there's there's leftovers. Um, so he's very abundant in the response that he has to Ruth and in, and in the, the care that he gives her. And so in verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. The Hebrew is deliberately vague there. You're not sure whether she's talking about Boaz's kindness or the Lord's kindness. And that's on purpose because in this story, Boaz and the Lord are kind of one and the same. He's a symbol for the kindness the Lord gives. And so as I'm thinking about what you are saying about God being at work in our life um, and showing us this kindness. I'm just, I'm reminded of the kindness that comes through other people. That's the first thing the Lord, that uh, the blessing that comes to Ruth. The other one, um, in verse chapter three, verse one, Naomi says, now shall I not seek rest for thee, that it might go well with thee. And of course, that's how the story ends with Ruth now at rest with Boaz. She's at rest in this family. And so I love those two beautiful blessings that come um, because of Ruth's loyalty and because of Boaz's uh, kindness and generosity and 
Naomi's persistence at helping mediate this relationship between the two of them. Well, see, isn't this just like we started out? It's this very gentle and loving Mm -hmm. story. I love the pace of the story, too, because even the way that the story unfolds um, with Ruth and with the resolving of how the marriage and the land will be taken care of in order for Boaz to secure Ruth as a wife and to take care of Naomi. Um, It was just all done in order. And like you said, those words of rest and kindness. And I loved um, in verse chapter three, verse 18, it's Naomi talking after the marriage proposal has gone out and Boaz needs to clear the, the line of how the, land will come to them. She says, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go for he won't rest unless he resolves this today. Um, so not only saying that as, as Boaz, but I also think referring, we can refer that to, um, like we mentioned before that God is at work. He's got you. It's going to work out. However it does, God is at work. He's at rest. It reminds me of the, um, the lilies. Will you quote that for me, Zach? The, consider the lilies. Consider the lilies. He knows. He knows everything. He knows what's happening, and we can rest, um, even though it's not easy. I get that. It's not always easy to rest for things that we know need to come or that we hope to come, um, but that He's mindful of us, and we can rely on Him. And that He won't rest until we have rest. That idea that he he genuinely is at work in our lives even when we don't feel it. Yeah. And that can be a tricky thing, but I think this is a good reminder that he's really doing something for yeah. us. I keep thinking too of maybe this seems a little off cuz I don't have a scripture to go with it necessarily, but I think that gratitude is such a key to this is looking at Wait, he is doing this for him. You can kind of feel that from Naomi is, no, I I was, it was hard. I was a little bitter. I felt like he let go of me, but now I'm seeing that he's at work and I'm, she's recognizing these little things that God is doing for her. And you can feel that gratitude building in her, which maybe makes the story a little more sweet for me as I read it. Yeah. In fact, that brings me to my, probably my favorite thread throughout the story. There is a very clear, um, symbolic finger pointing at the Messiah uh, in these chapters. And if you're reading with a Christian lens, then you're definitely seeing Jesus um, clearly symbolized in the character of Boaz. And it starts right at the very beginning. There's a beautiful Hebrew word that's repeated uh, multiple times, I think over 30 times in the story. Uh, Starts in verse, in chapter 1, um, it's translated as return in verse 6 and 7 and 8 and 10, and turn in verse 11 and 12, uh, go back in verse 15. Um, but it's it's used in such short succession that you know it's not an accident. It's deliberately put there because the idea of the story is that there's a reclaiming happening. Here is a people that are in that are struggling with famine. Uh, There's a lack of connection to God. And Ruth is going to symbolically represent us as she is reclaimed or returned to the presence and the relationship with God. 
And there's, of course, we've, we've talked about some of the beautiful things that she does, her loyalty, her willingness to serve and work, her kindness and gentleness. I also love the symbolic representation of the Lord and the character of Boaz. And so with that idea of returning, um, Ruth goes out and meets Boaz and then comes back and tells Naomi. And Naomi uses a specific title for Boaz. In chapter 2, verse 20, she says, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And the Hebrew phrase there, the Hebrew word of goel, is translated as near kinsman in other translations of the Bible. It's a redeeming kinsman or redeeming family member, or you might just simply use the word redeemer. This Boaz is our redeemer. He's our family redeemer. Um, when Boaz speaks to Ruth the first time in chapter 2, verse 12, he claims that responsibility as redeemer, as caretaker. Verse 12 the Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. That image of being covered by wings, the Hebrew word there, kafar, is the same word that's translated in other places as atone. So Boaz is saying the Lord is going to cover you with his wings. Or in chapter 3, when Ruth makes the marriage proposal to the Lord, she asks him to in verse 9, spread his skirt. And the word there is actually the same as wings and skirt, or it's a play on words at least. And so she's asking him to do what he has said the Lord will do for her. He promises the Lord will cover you, atone for you, protect you. And she's now turning to him and saying, will you be that protector, that redeemer to me? And then in chapter 4, uh, there's this small part that often gets left out where Boaz actually isn't the next closest kinsman. Um, he, By the law of leveret marriage, the possessions from Elimelech and the family pass to the next closest family member. And there's one other cousin who's closer. And so Boaz has to go out and meet this other cousin. And he tells him, you know, there's our cousin Elimelech died and if you want, his property now belongs to you. And the other cousin says, absolutely, I want the property. And then Boaz says, but with that comes the care of these two women, of Boaz, of Ruth and Naomi. And the cousin then says, I don't want that. And so he says in verse six, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. I won't be the redeemer. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. If you want to go back, read Moses chapter 4, where there's a peek into the council in heaven and the discussion that's had between uh, Heavenly Father, Satan, or Lucifer, and Jesus. And it's, it's very similar to the discussion here. There's someone that wants to be the Redeemer, but cannot because he's not chosen and here's someone now that is chosen to be that redeemer. And so Boaz says uh, in verse 10, Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, I have purchased or redeemed to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. Um, I just, I love this story of, of Ruth and Boaz coming together and symbolizing this family reclamation that comes when we turn our loyalty to the Lord and then when he spreads his wing and his skirt over us to protect us. So much so that Naomi in 
Chapter 4, verse 14 says, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, without a redeemer, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. And so, just, it's a, it's a beautiful story. And to squeeze one more symbol out of this, or this isn't even a symbol, the very end of the chapter, there's a little brief uh, genealogy. Ruth and Boaz have a son named Obed, who has a son named Jesse, who has a son named David, who is King David. And if you go to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew, in pointing out the Savior's lineage, very deliberately names Ruth as one of his primary ancestors. And so it's very clear that Ruth is, everything that happens in the story points directly to the Messiah. So whatever you might do with this, you're going to study it and find your own insights. But I hope at least, we hope at least that out of the story, you can see this love, both the love that the Lord has for you, whether it comes directly from him or through others, and uh, your own love and and choice of loyalty to him. Thank you so much for studying with us this week. We'll see you next episode.